We've been in the, uh, this series that we're in right now that I've decided to call eight messages into it, the Kingdom Now series. Um, we're talking about the kingdom now, living in the kingdom now. It, Christianity, as I said a little bit earlier, was not meant to be an, uh, an abstract theoretical belief system. It does have theoretical beliefs, but they're not to be held theoretically. Christianity is to be a life. Uh, I, we follow Jesus with our life. And life is nothing more than a series of nows strung together. So the quality of our relationship with Christ is the quality of the now. How much is our now surrendered to Christ? How much of our now is in the context of Christ's love flowing in us and the one call we have on our life to live that love out? And so we're talking about being centered in the now, living in the kingdom now. You hear occasionally about revivals going on in Brownsville or Toronto or Argentina or whatnot, and there's all sorts of spectacular things that are reported in those revivals. Uh, often people getting gold fillings in their teeth, have you heard that? Or gold dust following, uh, falling on people, or, or uh, you know, various healings taking place, or people laughing in the Spirit, or running in the Spirit, or dancing in the Spirit. And uh, that's, that, that's, that, that, that's well and good. But see, what, what can happen is that people can develop, and I've seen it many times, what, what I want to call a God-over-there syndrome. Where God always is somewhere else. Oh, I hear he's, he's moving over there. He's moving over there. Oh, they're moving over there. And the evidence of that are these signs and wonders. Some people, in fact, some people chase these revivals. Uh, they spend a lot of money, a lot of time, because they want to be part of what God's doing. Assuming, of course, that God is not right where they are already. And other people have a God back there and a God sometime, sometime in the future syndrome. A God back then or a someday syndrome where they, they think that God moved in the past and maybe he'll move in the future, but again, the assumption is that he's not moving in the now. You had a wonderful dear brother in Christ in this Pentecostal church where I first met the Lord who uh, used to give these testimonies. We had testimony services. And he'd always testify about the great move of God that happened when he got saved back in 1926. And man, did God move. We, we had that revival memorized. Um, and then he would say, I'm, I'm praying that God will send a revival just like that. So God was back then, and God is in the future, but what about God right now? What about God right now? And, well, I want to thank God for what he did in the past, and I want to thank God for what he'll do in the future, and I want to thank God for what he's doing in Brownsville and Argentina and Toronto and everywhere else where they're having a revival. Jesus says, and this is the title of my message today, that God, his Father, is always at work. God is always at work including right now and including right here. He's moving all over the place. I want to read two passages of Scripture, one short and one long. The short one comes from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus says that God is not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. He's not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. 28 times in the Bible, the Lord is referred to as the living God. The living God. He's alive. He's alive. It's not a theoretical belief, an abstract formula, a conclusion at the end of an argument. He's not in the past, not in the future, not somewhere else. He's alive. He's a living God. He's an interactive God. He wants a living, vibrant relationship with you, and you are in the now, and that's where he is. Now, with that in mind, let's go to this episode from the life of Jesus. There's this guy who was an invalid for 38 years, and... Uh, he would hang out by the pool of Bethesda, which was uh, reputed to have healing powers. And Jesus runs up, to, meets up with this guy, 
38 years having been an invalid, and this is what we find in John chapter 5, starting with verse 8. Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this happened uh, happened to be the, the Sabbath. And so the Jews took the man who had been healed. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, the man who made me well told me to pick up my mat and walk. <laughs> so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? Who's this guy who told you to break the Sabbath? This, this, in theological circles, this is called uh, missing the point. <laughs> the man who was healed had no idea who, he, who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And this is a little incidental note. I want us to notice there that Jesus shows up heals the man, and then disappears into the crowd. Uh, it is enough to, to do a loving kingdom work and then move on. You don't have to give the whole package right there. You know, uh, it, it's just you touch and move on. The Jews catch up with Jesus a few verses later. So in verse 16, we read this. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. It's talking about not every Jew, of course. It's talking about Jewish leaders at this point. Jesus said to them, My father is also at his work. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. The son is always looking for what the father is doing, and then he participates in what the father is doing. Let's pray for a moment. Could I get a few intercessors, uh, a few dozen intercessors around the auditorium? We'll keep the message covered in prayer. All right, thank you. Lord, uh, we don't have any trust in words any more than we have trust in music, any more than we have trust in human ingenuity or wisdom. Kingdom's not built by that. It's built by your spirit and by your power. I'll open my mouth, and Lord, we're trusting you to infuse the words with your life. Because we are not here to get just more information. We pray, Lord God, that you would do what only you can do, and that is jar our hearts and minds to cause us to walk differently, moment by moment. To be kingdom people here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See, a lot, of, a lot of Jews in Jesus' day, in fact, the majority of them, had a belief that God had stopped talking. They believed that after the last book of the, the Bible was written, the uh, Old Testament was written, Malachi, that God just, he said all he was going to say, he said all he had to say, and he'd done all he was planning on doing. And so now we were kind of on our own. It wasn't quite that stark, but pretty much we are on our own. They didn't walk with an expectation that God was going to talk to them in the present, let alone be active in their lives in the present. What they thought they had to do then was just carry out the rules that he gave us once upon a time. That was their whole theology. Now, sadly, see, the law was originally given, the whole Old Testament was given, as a means of, to help people cultivate a real relationship with the living God. It was, it, was a, it was a means to an end. But the goal was 
to have a relationship with the living God. But what had happened is these Jews had come to a conclusion that really set them apart from the living God because their God in their mind was not living. He wasn't present. He was in the past. So the law that was intended to be a means to an end became an end in and of itself. They really didn't have a relationship with the living God. They had a relationship to the law. They had, in fact, a relationship to their own obedience to the law. They had a relationship to their religion. They didn't get life, fullness of life, from the living God. They got life from the things they believed about God and the behaviors that they did before God. And that is what I call religion. It's religion. Religion is always evidence that there's a lack of a living relationship with the, the, the living God. Religion, when people buy into this idolatrous way of getting life, and it's the most common one throughout history, it blinds them to the reality of the living God. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day couldn't recognize God even though he was right in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry was manifesting life all over the place. But because their whole relationship with God was defined in the past by their sheer obedience to a set of rules, they couldn't see life when it was right in front of them. It wasn't on their radar screen, so to speak. Jesus lived a life of perfect love. He healed people. He delivered people, set captives free. It was beautiful. He fed people. He beautifully befriended people who were on the outside of the, the social system. He beautifully crossed cultures. Uh, he treated women with dignity and respect, which was rare in those days. There was life written all over his ministry. There was love written all over his ministry. There was God written all over his ministry. But these religious people couldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. All they could see in the ministry of Jesus was a man who broke their rules. They judged Jesus and defined Jesus completely in terms of what he wasn't in terms of their religious system. They couldn't see who he really was. In the book of Matthew, it captures what the perception of Jesus was, the perception of these religious people when it says, they said when they saw Jesus, look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This guy doesn't follow our religion. He doesn't go by our rules. He's a rule breaker. He doesn't measure up to our standards. And he hangs out with a shady crowd. And the only thing that they could see with this shady crowd is the same thing they saw in the person of Jesus Christ. They're rule breakers. They don't measure up to our religion. They're a bunch of gluttons, drunkards, tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. That's who they are. And Jesus hangs out with them. They couldn't see past the rightness of their own theology. They couldn't see past their own religious judgments, so they couldn't see what God was doing in the lives of these people that, he was judge, that they were judging. God was at work, but their religious judgments prevented them from seeing it. I, I, I submit to you that that problem is still alive and well today. People who get life from their religion rather than from the living God, they're unable to see God as the wonderful God that he is, and they're unable to see people as the wonderful creations of God who have unsurpassable worth because of what Jesus did for them. They're unable to see that. The only thing they can see is their own religious judgments. They wear the spectacles of religion, and they fit everyone into those categories. They really don't see people at all. 
What they see is a glutton. They see a drunkard. They see a tax collector. They see a homosexual. They see a lazy person. They see a person who is the problem with society today. And this is why religious people are so often devoid of life and devoid of love. Why they more often than not have less love than the people they judge. They're locked in their religious judgments and they can only see and respond to God and people in the light of their religious judgments. Now they think and they claim they stand for truth, righteousness, and love. But everybody else other than themselves, when they look at them, they see something that's devoid of life, devoid of love, and just full of judgment. It's ugly. The people who are hungry for life, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, are not attracted to religion. They're not attracted to it today any more than they were back in Jesus' day. They don't flock to these people as they did to Jesus. They steer clear of them just as they did the Pharisees. And that problem is still very much with us today. I this last week saw, and maybe some of you saw, on, the, on primetime national news, a prominent religious spokesperson who's now heading up a new organization that is going to take America back for God. And in the course of an interview, when they asked him why he started this organization, he said on national news primetime, he said, I have a right to, or suggested this, these weren't his exact words, but he said, I have a right to go to a baseball game with gay people showing affection for one another. And when I hear things like that on television, my heart just sinks. It just sinks. It really is little wonder, is it, that... Uh, as I mentioned last week, that on a poll taken in 2002, born-again Christians rank towards the bottom of groups that people respect, groups that people would want to hang, hang around with. It's not too surprising. And what I'm wondering is why not claim, if you're going to stand up and enforce your rights, why not uh, claim uh, that you have a right to go to a baseball game and not see people drinking too much because being drunk violates your, 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 religious, your, your religious code? Why not Make a claim that you have a right to go to a baseball game and not see people eat too much because the Bible forbids gluttony, and so that's against your religious code. Why not go to the baseball game and say you have a right not to hear anyone swear because that breaks your religious code? You see, what I'm thinking is that if you don't want to go anyplace where you don't have to look at anyone who's less holy than you, you have a right to stay at home. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Better yet, you have a right to lock yourself in your church with your, your nice holy church with your nice holy club where you don't ever have to look at anyone who uh, is a little less holy than you according to your own judgments. But see, the more fundamental issue is this. Here's the question I want to ask. How did we, and by we I just mean th th this kind of general evangelical thing, how do we go from being followers of a Lord who gave up his rights in order to die for sinners, among whom we are told we are chief, how do we go from that to being people who think we have a right to not even look at sinners as though we ourselves were not the chief of sinners? Think about it. How do we go from being people who are called to mimic Jesus' example of sacrificial love for sinners, like ourselves, to people who, in Jesus' name, think we have a right not to look at sinners, the very ones that Jesus died for, and the very ones that we're called to imitate Jesus towards? Think about it. How did this happen? And the answer I submit to you is this. Christianity has, to a large degree, been transformed from an invitation to find real life in Christ into a religion people try to get life from. And there's an infinity of difference between the two. Let me say that again. 
Christianity has to a large degree been transformed from an invitation to find life and to celebrate life in Christ alone into a religion people try to get life from. And I'm here this morning to tell you that there's no life, zero life to be found in religion. There's no life, no real life to be found in the rightness of your beliefs and the rightness of the behaviors according to you and the rightness of your judgments according to you. There's no life there. The only one in whom life can be found, real life, God's life can be found, is, uh, is the living Jesus Christ, having a living, vibrant, now relationship with Jesus Christ and in him alone. But to have that life, amen, to have that life, you've got to die to every other false form of getting life, including your religion. However right it might be, it can't be a source of life to you. You die to that. You die to every other source of life, including your rights. In fact, I got a word for you. I got a word today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have any rights. You certainly don't have any religious rights. You surrendered those to Jesus Christ when you surrendered him your life. What, what you've got, here's what you've got. You've got a command. It's a central command. It's what it means to follow Jesus. The command is to die to yourself and to live and serve the people that others don't want to even look at. That's what you've got. That's what you're to live in. And the promise, the promise is that if you'll do that, you'll find life, fullness of life, God's life, Zoe life, eternal life, a joy and peace that passes understanding. But it comes when you die to everything else as a source of life. I have a right not to look at people I deem unholy. That's crazy. And the only thing that's more nuts than that is to say, I have a right to enforce that right in the name of Jesus, who died for the people I don't want to look at. See, folks, this is, this is mind-boggling nuts. This is insane. But that's what religion does. It makes people crazy. It makes people blind. Look at the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're nuts. This man was an invalid for 38 years. Hanging out at the pool of Bethesda every day for 38 years. That's a public place. These Jews knew this guy. And one day they see him and he's no longer an invalid. He's walking carrying his mat. And you'd think that they would be shouting hallelujah, rolling on the floor, doing somersaults or something. But what they see is a person who is carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and that breaks the rule. All they could see in this, it's got God written all over it, but all they could see was a guy who was breaking one of the rules. And then the guy who healed this guy, he broke a rule. The rule is don't do anything on the Sabbath. Carrying your mat, that's something, you're breaking a rule. Healing a person, that's something, you're breaking a rule. That's insane. This guy has been healed, but they can't see it. It's full of life. It's full of God. The Father is working but their religious judgments, all they can see is a person who doesn't fit their religious box, and that's blindness, and that's insanity. But see, Jesus still loves these people. He loves everybody, and, he's, and he loves these people who are stuck in religion. It's just one of the ways we can get stuck. And so he's trying to help them, and so what he says is this. You, you guys, no, 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 no. Look, 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 look. My father, my father is always working. My father's always at his work. And I, too, am working. I know you've got a theology that says he stopped working 400 years ago, but no, 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 no. He's working now. And if you just open up your eyes, you can see it. See, this is the Father's working. Open up your eyes. Look. 
He never stops working. He's right in front of you. Take off your religious blinders and you'll see it. Get out of your religious judgments and you'll see it. He's working here. It's a beautiful thing. Look at this man that you think is unholy for breaking one of your rules. Maybe a guy that you don't even want to look at now. But if you open up your eyes, you're going to see something that's so full of beauty because the Father's working there. The Father's working there. He's always working, always working, which means this. The time to look for the Father working is right now. And the place to, the, to look for the Father working is right here. And the people to look for the Father working in is everyone. Because the steadfast love of the Lord, as we said last week, fills the entire earth. The Father's always working, which means he's working now, which means he's working here, which means he's working in everyone. His steadfast love fills the entire earth. And Jesus is just trying to jar them to see. He lovingly is trying to jar them to open up their eyes and to see what the Father is doing. He was always doing that throughout his ministry. This prostitute washing his feet in Luke chapter 7. What they saw was a prostitute, and he's going, no, 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 no. Look, look again, open up your eyes. This is a woman created in the image of God who's got unsurpassable worth, and what's going on here is beautiful. It's got life written all over. It's got beauty written all over. It's got God written all over. Can't you see it? Open up your eyes. And that Canaanite woman that you think is a dog because of your racial prejudice, oh, look again, look, 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 look. The father's working there. He healed his, 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 that woman's daughter. And that Roman centurion that you despise so much because of your judgment, look, look, the father's working even there. Don't, don't let your religious judgments blind you to the beauty of what God is doing. A servant's being healed. And that wedding, that wedding guest, who, that wedding host who, who, who ran out of, out of wine, I know you got convictions that, that you're not supposed to drink wine, but, but try to get out of those just for a second and look at the beauty of what God's doing. He's changing water into wine. The Father's working. He's everywhere. And if you can open up those eyes, you'll see that's not a glutton. That's a person in whom the Father's working. And that's not a drunkard. That's a pop person in whom the Father is working right here and right now. That's not a druggie. That's not just a gay. That's not just a lawbreaker. The Father's working there. And he's working in the hungry, and he's working in the homeless, and he's even working in the prisoners. He's present there to the point where Jesus says, what you do to them, you do to me. That's present. But you've got to have eyes to see it. If you're walking around out of self-interest or walking around in religious judgment, you'll miss it. You'll miss life. You'll miss beauty. He's everywhere. He's every place. He's right here. He's right now. In the daytime, in the nighttime, he's working. He's working here. He's working there. He's working in the great revivals, praise God for that. But he's also working in the, the little moments of our life, the mundane moments of our life, which makes no moment mundane. He's working when you're driving home from church, working when you're out there in the gathering area, working when you're watching TV, working when you're working on the yard, working when you're fixing the toilet. He's, he's always at his work, always. Let's see, to see that, to see that, you got to stay awake. You got to stay awake and you got to quit preconceiving of what you expect to see. Have your eyes open. You'll only see him working in the now if you're awake to the now. You'll only see him working right in front of you if your eyes are open to it. You'll only see him working if you're single-minded about the kingdom moment to moment. You'll only see him working if you're living in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. You'll only see him working if you're framing every now, every moment, every situation as a kingdom moment, as a moment in which he is working. You'll never see him if you're not looking for him right here and right now. And that's the problem with the God over there and the God back then syndromes. I'm all for, it's wonderful to have revivals in Brownsville and Argentina and Toronto. And great to hear about gold dust falling and gold te people's teeth turning to gold and pulpits splitting and, and uh, people being slain in the spirit and people being healed. If, if, if those revivals result in people being able 
having a greater capacity and a greater motivation to love their worst enemies, I'm for them. I'm for them. Anything that produces that, I'm for. Now, if they don't produce that, I'm not going to be at all impressed because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if it doesn't result in love, it's altogether worthless. But I'm willing to believe that there are people who walk away from there with a greater capacity to, to love their enemies. And that's a miracle. And, and so if God wants to throw on some other miracles, gold teeth or whatever, I'm fine. Let me, he's God. He can do what he wants. But never fall into the trap that because gold teeth, gold fillings are turning into teeth, fillings are turning into gold. I need a new filling or something. Never fall into the trap that because fillings are turning into gold and, and spectacular things are happening, never fall into the trap of thinking that God's more there than he is here. Uh, that, that somehow you're missing out on something if you're not part of what he's doing there. Because if you think God's more over there than he is here, you'll miss what he's doing here. Well, you'll miss what he's doing now, and you'll miss the opportunity to participate in what he's doing here and now. Uh, the clearest example I have of this is something that happened a number of years ago, but there's a, a man who was just so into these revivals. He was chasing these revivals all the time to the point where he couldn't hold on a steady job and and uh, he was away from the family more often than he was home. And he had a very difficult marriage to the point where his wife said, if you go on one more revival, this revival that you're planning on going on, you're gone for two, three, four weeks at a time, if you go to this, when you come home, I won't be here. I'm leaving you. Uh, it's at that point that I entered in the story and talked to this uh, young man, and I said, do you know that if you go on this revival, your wife's going to leave you? His first response, which is a very religious response, is, she doesn't have biblical grounds for divorcing me. So, well, that's a great marriage. (laughs) Okay, maybe she doesn't have biblical grounds. She doesn't jump the hoops that you think she has to jump through. Uh, But uh, uh, this is reality, buddy. And the reality is that you're not going to have a wife if you go on this revival. Don't go on this revival. And he says, you don't understand, Brother Boyd. I don't want to just be one of these mediocre Christians who just go to church and have this mamsy pamsy religion that doesn't make any kind of difference. No, I want to be a great man of God, and I want to be a part of a great move of God, and so I can't miss out on anything God is doing. And the Bible says I'm to love God even more than my wife and my family, so I'm going on this revival. I want to see a Holy Ghost move. I want to see the power of God fall. And my response, well, my first response was to... Remind myself that my job is to love. 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 <laughs> love, don't judge. My second response, though, is to say to him, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you don't want to be a mediocre Christian. That's wonderful. And, and you want to be a great man of God. Hallelujah. And you want to be a part of a great move of God. That's wonderful. And a Holy Ghost revival and, a, and, and all of that. I, I want to affirm that. But I want to tell you something. Uh, you don't have to go to Toronto to do that. In fact, God wants you to do it right in your family. You want a revival. God wants to have a revival in your marriage. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you want to be a great man of God. Uh, the, the, the first, you'll never be a great man of God until you get this. This is, this, is, this, is, this is being a great man of God 101. Serve your wife. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a good place to start if you want training on how to be a great man of God. And you want to see the Lord really move? You want a Holy Ghost move of God? I'll tell you, the Holy Ghost is moving right now in your family, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. And here's what it will look like. You're going to have a Holy Ghost power of God, hallelujah, kind of moment when you start doing the dishes and take out the groceries and fix that sink that's been leaking for three weeks. Man, that will be a move of God. 
And the power of God is going to fall all over this place. Hallelujah. When you spend a little bit of time with those kids and their homework and spend some time talking to your wife and understanding your issues, come under her and serve her and, 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 and be a Christ-like husband to her. And you might just find, if you're walking in the Spirit and obeying God in those areas, the God of miracles might have signs and wonders for you when it comes to your relationship with your wife in the bedroom because that's what he's always been complaining about. My wife never has sex with me. Well, you come home, be gone for a week, so you're going to be home for a week, so you're going to be home for one day, and you want to have sex. It doesn't work that way, buddy. <laughs> this is marriage 101. Uh-uh. <laughs> but you start, you start moving in, in, in God, fixing that sink and fixing the toilet and taking out the garbage. The day of miracles might come. <laughs> See, my point... Husbands, take notes, all right? <laughs> Sometimes I'm positively profound. <laughs> well, see, that's how it works. God is always working. The Father is always working. The question, therefore, is not where is God moving. That's not the question. Like you're going to go chase him. The question is not, where is God moving? The question is, do you have eyes to see him moving where you are right now? And if you're living in love, moment by moment, looking for him, you're going to see him working everywhere, in everyone, in every moment, in every circumstance. And if you're open to it, that seeing will be an invitation for you to participate in what the Father is doing right here and right now. Jesus said this, he can only do, the Son can only do what he sees the Father doing. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. The reality is that we can only participate in the Father's work if we're looking for how and when the Father is working, if we're looking for what he's doing in the now. If you're walking awake right here and right now, looking and expecting to see the Father move, every circumstance, every situation, every opportunity becomes an invitation to join him in his kingdom work. Again, the time to look for the Father working is now. The place to look for the Father working is here. And the people in whom to look for the Father working is everyone. Another way of saying that is this. When you live in love, moment by moment, as Christ loved you, you look at the world and every situation moment by moment with the eyes of love, and when you do that, you will see opportunities to love all around you. In his great book, uh, it's a short little classic, uh, Brother Lawrence, a 16th century monk. He's, he's really the guy who mentored me on this whole concept of living in the now. Uh, practicing the presence of God. I recommend you to get it. It's a short little read. Don't agree with all the theology in it, but what's new? Um, but, but this idea of walking in the now in the presence of God is, is beautifully articulated. And he, he encourages us to live in the question. The question he tried to have always on his mind. Uh, Father, what would you have me to do now? Lord, how would you have me to live right now and right now? To walk in that, to walk in that question. Like Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.4, uh, a good soldier uh, is always seeking to please his commanding officer and doesn't get so involved in, uh, in civilian affairs that he forgets to listen to his captain. Keep your walkie-talkie on and be asking, Lord, what would you have me to do right now? It's synonymous with asking the question, how can I live in love as Christ loved me right here, right now? Lord, how would you have me to direct this, this love right here and right now? And when you walk like this moment by moment, you begin to see things that you otherwise would never see. Things that your preconceptions, your religious judgments, your prejudices might have prohibited you from seeing. Things that living out of self-interest would prohibit you from seeing. Now the littlest things can become kingdom opportunities, kingdom moments.
where the kingdom has advanced. I was um, recently, uh, I went down to Texas, as a lot of you know, and uh, a conference down there. And as I was getting on the plane, it was the last call, boarding I never get on before I have to. So I, everyone's kind of scrambling to get on the plane and make sure they're there. And as I'm in line, I happened to notice, and I, this may have been the father calling this woman to my attention, happened to notice this woman uh, behind this desk um, uh, trying to fold a chair or something. But I could just see, she, and she was holding a baby while she's trying to do this. So I walked over there, and, and it was this woman, and she had a little tiny infant, too small to put down, and with one arm she was trying to fix this thing so she could get on the plane. And so I just said, can I help you? Can I help you? And she looked up and she goes, thank you. And she gave me her baby. <laughs> As a cute little baby, too, a really cute little baby. I was like, oh, you you know, tell you the little baby. The woman finally gets her, I'm so glad she gave me the baby instead of asking me to try to fix her chair. <laughs> See, there is a God. And... Uh, but I, 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 I gave her back the baby, and she thanked me, and, and I, I just kind of noticed something sad about her eyes, just, just a kind of pain in the eyes. And I just said, um, as we were leaving, I said, I just looked into her eyes and said, the Father cares deeply about you and, and your little baby. God, God really cares about you and your baby. And she just, like, looked at me, and, and, and I thought she was going to burst out crying there. But she just said, thank you so much for saying that. And that was it. That was it. No, no gold teeth or anything. Just, just that, that little thing. But, but see, that advances the kingdom a little bit. And when I got on the plane, I could just pray some for her and her baby. And whatever situation. What is the story behind those sad eyes, I wonder? I just began to pray for her. You see, that, that's how it works. I, I, I you know... Praise God for big revivals. That's wonderful. And pray, praise God for large group organized outreaches. That's necessary. But most of our life is lived in, in, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And, and I believe it's the trillion, of li trillion little things that kingdom people will do. That that's how the kingdom primarily goes forward. That's what will change the world. And the one that changes most is you. When you are looking for the Father working and when you say yes to the Father working and participate in it, it changes you. However much that lady got blessed, I got blessed more. Every time we say yes to the kingdom, the kingdom takes a little bit more of our life. We're saturated a little bit more with that life and with that joy and with that peace and with that love of God. Is he given? It shall be given unto you. But, but it's those little things that are all around us every single moment but which, if we're living out of self-interest or living out of preconceptions, we don't see. But if we open up our eyes to that, it's those little things, those invitations to participate in the kingdom, that's how God is changing the world. It happens all around us. Most of the time when we say yes to the kingdom and just do those little things, we don't see what, 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 what uh, happens. I, I have no idea the, the repercussions that this might have had in this lady's life, on her baby's life, or maybe on the situation that she's going through. Maybe I'll find out. When, in fact, I'm quite sure I'll find out when I get to heaven. But right now, I, I don't see it. But sometimes when you're walking this way, you do see it. In fact, if you're walking this way, Father, what would you have me to do? Sometimes, I'm not saying it's the norm, but sometimes supernatural stuff can happen. Do you know that God, God, the Bible talks about God giving his children things like word of knowledge and a word of wisdom, and, 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 and he wants to lead us and guide us. My sheep are always listening to me. When I say go hither, they go hither. Uh, uh, th that, that's supposed to be the way we walk. And sometimes you can just see absolute confirmation of it. 
for example, there was a, a lady, I went to the, the refuge this last week just to kind of see uh, how it's going, and it's going beautiful. <laughs> that is like a pure kingdom thing going on there, man. It's just, it's people who belong to different support groups. We've got all these support groups you've got to know about, and, and people come there, and, and everyone who goes there, it's kind of like we know why we're here, because something in our life didn't work, something broke, which is, which is the attitude we ought to have when we come together anywhere, because we all know that we've lost in areas of our life, and, and, and see, when you come with that kind of mindset, there's no pretense. It's like, okay, I know why you're here, and you know why I'm here, so we can cut all that normal, silly human stuff that keeps us from getting real, and let's just do reality. And, and, and that just permeates that refuge kind of uh, thing, uh, the refuge ministry. And when they get together, they have supper, they worship, they have a testimony, and then they break into their small groups. And the testimony this week was so beautiful. Um, and I, I understand it was just the person volunteered at the last minute. But it was a lady who I know who's been part of this church for a while. And she said that for, she always saw herself as the one who had it together. Uh, you know, she's got the good family, the good marriage. Things are working for her. And so she, out of love, wants to help people who don't have it together. And that's kind of the frame of reference that she had. But there came a time, as there often does in life, where the, to the togetherness stopped working. And after 21 years of marriage, her marriage fell apart. And uh, all of a sudden, her husband was gone. And she didn't script that into her life. No one scripts things like that into their life. But in the fallen world, it happens, doesn't it? And she fell into quite a deep depression over this and was going to a counselor. And the counselor said, you need to get into a, a, a divorce support group which she did. And she said at first she felt kind of awkward because she's never been in this position before. But immediately being around people who have been through what she's, been, what she's just gone through, it, it, was such a really, it, it was such a support. It was so life-giving. She said, I've, I've learned that God usually meets us through other people, which is a profoundly true statement, which is why we need one another. Out of that uh, support group came a small group and... and uh, uh, they've just been doing life together. They've been doing ministry together. They've had their own little church, as it were. Now, there, it happened that, and this is typical for when, you're, when something traumatic, whether it's your husband leaving, wife leaving, child dying, or whatever, the brain doesn't adjust auto automatically. It takes years. You, 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 you come in chunks. And so she's making a lot of progress getting on with life, and, and things are going well. But one morning she wakes up and instinctively looks over, and her husband's not there. And the shock hits you once again. And the depression falls on you once again. And she felt she was in a real dark place on this one particular day. But before she, or just as soon as she got out of bed, she got a phone call, coincidentally enough. We call these things kingdom coincidences. She got a phone call from one of the people in her group who just said, you know, this morning when I was praying, uh, the Lord just put you on my heart, and I, I don't know what, what, what that's about, but I just want you to know I got you covered. <laughs> I love that. I got you covered. I got you covered. A couple hours later, someone else in her small group called and said, I just had you on my mind today. How you doing? I just want you to know I care about you. I love you. I know how you're doing. A couple hours later, another person from her small group shows up with a loaf of bread or something. I forget what it was. Just say, hey, I, I was just thinking about you today. I thought I'd bring you a gift. And just tell, you know, how you doing? And see, th this is how God has the sheep care for one another. But more important than the particular comfort she got from each of those encounters was this. She knows that. She, this is just supernatural proof to her that while you may wake up in the morning and your husband isn't there any longer, you'll never wake up in the morning and find your Savior is missing. He's there. He's always working. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You see, 
But that happened because there were people who were willing to respond, looking for what the Father's doing in prayer uh, and, and responding to what the Father's doing and, and, and listening to those impulses. It can be positively beautiful. I mentioned this about a year ago, but it's worth repeating. Uh, someone, I, I don't even know who this person is. Uh, I just kind of learned about it secondhand. But, but uh, a lady in our congregation on the gathering area. There's some good ministry that happens on the gathering area. Folks, be open to it. And uh, she was just kind of looking around and blessing people she saw. That's a good kingdom practice. Uh, just ascribe worth to them. And there's one particular person that she was blessing, a young man. And then something caught her attention. She felt uh, a prompting to... Uh, go over and give this man $20. Just uh, give him 20 bucks. So she obeys, and she walks over there, and I imagine it was a little bit weird, but she just says, I, I, I know you don't know me or anything, but, but I just feel like I, I, God told me that I'm supposed to give you $20. Would you mind? <clears throat> Not too many people would mind. But see, the man was floored, because what that woman didn't know was that man had been evicted out of his apartment, had lost his job, was living out of a car. He came to church with $20 to his name. During the service, he felt like God told him to put that entire $20 in the offering. And, and he, you know, he, he kind of resisted it, but he heard the, the, the word say, a voice saying, trust me on this, trust me on this. So he puts it in there. 40 minutes later, he's out in the gathering area, and some total stranger walks up and gives him $20. And see, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. That, that's irrelevant. What, what, what matters here is that, that this man now, will, his ability to trust God was forever changed. He knows he's not alone. You get evicted from an apartment. You're living out of a car. Now you've got no money. You're wondering, where is God in all this? So God says, here I am. Here I am. I got you covered. But it happens because there's a person who's willing to respond and obey, who's walking in the now. If you're living out of your self-interest or living out of your judgment, and you see a person there that looks homeless, you're, you're going to miss this beautiful, wonderful opportunity that you have to participate in the work that God's doing. And however blessed that man was, I assure you, the woman was blessed more. If it, to be a participant in the kingdom, it just evokes joy. It's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's life. It's life itself. I got three minutes. I got time for one more illustration. I, I, this also happened when I was down in Texas. Um, I, I, I was in, in this courtyard. Oh, this open courtyard is this, this restaurant. Really busy at this conference. You have people all over the place, waiters coming and going. And as I was finishing my meal, I, I happened to notice, and I think it's the Father's directing, on uh, the far end of the court is this Hispanic lady just busy washing the tables and chairs. And apparently it was her job, the, the waiters would, would take the plates away and stuff, but then she had to wipe up uh, the table, and there's only one of her, and there's about 300 tables, so she was running around all over the place. And the trouble is, is that the waiters and waitresses take the tips, <laughs> so there's no tips when she gets there. Now, maybe they split it with her, I don't know. But I, I just noticed her and kind of wondered about her life and just kind of said a blessing for her, and, uh, and that was good. That's usually where it ends. But I got up to walk away, and, and it, it was like this. I got up, and I started walking away, and it was like it, something just checked me. And I, I felt this impression or heard this word uh, that just said, I said, bless her. And I, I thought, well, I did bless her. <laughs> no, bless her <laughs> with a capital V, bless. In fact, I had an impression, and this is the word that came to me. I, said, I actually said it out loud to myself. Uh, she's single with three kids. Bless her. And she's supporting them on, on this job. And so, and, and you know, there's a part of the, you, the flesh party, that say, is this really God? <laughs> you know, because I'm on a tight budget here. Is this really you, Lord? <laughs> How about we throw out a fleece? Let's try that trick, you know. 
but, but I, was, I was quite certain it was. And so I just turned around and walked over to her. And uh, I first, in fact, at first when I came up to her, she looked scared. And I think that was a cultural thing or something. Like, what did I do wrong? She, she was like, 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 what? And I said, I just want to thank you for doing such a great job. You work so hard. You've got so much to cover. I don't know how you do it. But uh, uh, you're doing a great job. And her response was something like, que pasa? <laughs> uh, it, 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 she spoke broken English, so I had to slow it down. But I just, I just thanked her for that. And she was like, oh, they, they, like, who does that? And then I just said, uh, I, I don't know how, many, how much tips you get, but, but uh, I just want to share this with you. And I gave her a chunk. And the, the, just, just the joy of, of the face. Uh, that, 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 I love that beautiful bewilderment. Like, uh, what you know, I I I I love that. And however blessed she was, I was much more blessed. You walk away from that, just there's a, there's a joy, there is a peace. There's like it's so fun. It's so fun to walk with the Father. It's so fun to to participate in what He's doing. It's it's life itself. It, it is it is joy. It's the kingdom. You see, it's just those, those, those little moments. That was nothing monumental, but you maybe are, are sitting there thinking, well, how do you know for sure that it was God? Well, I, I don't know for sure that it was God, but what if it wasn't? Boo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, it's not like the world's a more evil place because of that. And see, if you've died to your self-interest, to the extent that you've died to your self-interest, that won't be as big a consideration as it would be if you're clutching on to every dime you got, you see? So you walk in love. You walk in love. Very least is a loving thing to do. But I think it was actually a, a, a father-directed thing to do. Either way, it's a kingdom thing to do, and the kingdom is advanced. The time to look for the father working is now. The place to look for the father working is here, and the people in whom to look for the father working is everybody. Walk with that mindset. All around you at every moment, there's opportunities to see, to be benefited by, to be blessed by, and to participate in what the Father is doing. Start out in the gathering area. Folks, if we can't do it out in the gathering area, we're never going to do it out in the world. Uh, and, and let's just make this the most loving, uh, friendly place imaginable where it's impossible to come here and not have somebody meet you. i got to quit preaching because we're out of time, but, but there's a lady who called me this last week and just said... Um, uh, you know, I've been coming here for two years, and I felt so invisible. I didn't know anybody. I never met anybody. But last week, after you told people to meet, go, out, go out of their comfort zone and meet people, three people came up and introduced themselves. And, and, and I, I, I felt so good. And um, uh, uh, one of them, actually, is we're, we're going to be talk, you know, because she was kind of all alone, too. And, and now we've got a friendship, possibly, that's developing. The kingdom advances. The kingdom advances. Every kind, every act of kindness, compassion, and generosity. I know there's a rule that says you don't go out and meet strangers unless, unless you have to. We're rule breakers, all right? We break those rules. Very careful zone. Let's go up and say, hi, my name's, my name's so-and-so. Hi, and just find out a little bit about them. Bless people just by smiling, by loving, and, uh, and, and, and be a participant in the kingdom. Let's stand. Two things of invitation. If you're here this morning and you want to join the kingdom, or you've recently joined the kingdom, you want to find out more about the kingdom, up here to my right, your left, there's a table and a person who would love to explain to you what that's about, and we have some literature we'd like to give you for free. We encourage you to come up and, and be a part of that. Also, if the prayer team would come forward right now, if you have any need that you would like to have prayed for, we uh, invite you to do that and uh, spend some time praying with these folks who would just love to do what they're called to do in, in relationship to your issue. Let me close with this sort of prayer benediction. Father, as we go out of here, keep us mindful, keep us awake, 
moment by moment, receiving the fullness of life that comes only from you and reflecting that love that comes and life and love that comes from you. Father, help us to remember that right now you are at work. Right here, this moment, you are at work. With this person, you are at work. Free us from all religious judgment, all preconceptions, all self-interest to walk with a kingdom awareness, to see and participate in the beautiful thing that you're doing each and every moment of existence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Go forth and love. Amen.